the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When cultural categories don't fit, and later we're talking ancient spiritual practices with Pastor Aaron Damiani. Are evangelicals changing their views on immigration reform? And later, what's it like to parent in midlife? You're listening to The Common Good. With us, my name is Aubrey Sampson, and uh, my co-host Brian Fromm has actually gone the next couple days, and so I am joined by my favorite—I probably should say my favorite sub co-host because okay. that's not fair to Brian. But you might recognize her voice sitting across the studio from my friend Catherine McNeil. Catherine, thanks for being here with us again today. I'm so glad to be back, Aubrey. We thanks always having love me. having you in the studio. It's so fun. So, Catherine, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, culture wars and kind of the categories we place ourselves in and place other people in. But before we do that, I want to do something very shallow and fun on this okay. Monday afternoon. Um, you tagged me in something on Twitter. Yes. Which was super simple. Uh-huh. It was like five... Four or five, five, five things about you, but then you're supposed to tag five other yep. people. We'll five unpack things, what it was. Five tags. And it, this thing went crazy on Twitter. Like all of a sudden I'm opening up Twitter and I'm like, have so many shares and likes uh-huh. and whatever. So it's so simple, but I think it's kind of fun to talk about. So tell the people what this was. Yeah. Well, I was tagged in it myself. I didn't start it, yeah. but it was five things, five tags. And I think the things that you were supposed to list was a food, a drink, Oh man, you kind of caught me off guard with this. A food, a drink, a se- a color, a color, a, a season, season, and a show, and a show. That's right. And yeah, then you tag five people. Yeah, and that's just as simple as that. And it doesn't even specify: is it your favorite drink? Is it your favorite show? It's just just anything. I also realized I answered some things differently than I would have today, which was kind of fun oh, wow. to think about. So, okay, tell the people your answers. So, your favorite, or not even didn't favorite. Say favorite. No, nope, didn't yeah. say favorite. For food, I put uh, caprese salad Yum. with my own homegrown tomatoes Yum. because you know September. Yes, it, it was September. At the yes. Time. Yep. Uh, for drink, I put. Water with my homegrown Calamondan oranges. Look at it. you. Wow. I know. Wow. Color's always blue. Okay. For show, I put Superstore. Yeah, that's your favorite. Yeah. So good. And season, spring. Season, spring. Definitely not fall. Oh. Catherine and I both have no. the same problem where allergies are going crazy oh. in the fall, which I might sound like a man to you. I'm not Brian Fromm. I'm Aubrey Sampson. <laughs> okay, so I, I don't know why I thought that was so fun and so simple, but it's fun to see everyone's answers. I realized uh, that I put... I put winter as season and I should have put Christmas. Like I, I, oh. I barred myself in too much to like traditional four seasons. I and see. I wish I would have been like the Christmas season. Yeah, but not? anyway, that's just kind of fun. A way to get to know each other. Yeah. So maybe uh, listeners, you can let us know your favorite drink, drink, food, food color, color, season, show. Yeah. We'd love to hear it at our uh, social media at Common Good Talk. Okay. Let's get serious, Catherine. It's right. Monday afternoon. We're going to get serious. It's a very serious time. It's a very serious time. That's right. So our friend David French, uh, Brian got to spend some time with him last week at Wheaton College. And he posted something on his site that I thought was... Um, 
What did I think it was? I thought it was interesting because I think it's where a lot of us fit now. I'm going to share it with you, Catherine. Okay. And what I think this is really about is the the categories that we use to put ourselves in and to put each other in. And here's what he said. He's he's talking about an issue. I don't even care about the issue, but he's talking about the issue. But here's how he describes himself. I've always been conservative. This is David French. In the left versus right context, I've always considered myself a man of the right, the Reagan right. Mm. But when the extremes grow more extreme and the classical liberal structure of the American Republic is under intellectual and legal attack... Suddenly, I'm an involuntary moderate. Mm. Then he goes on to say, for example, I'm a person who believes in the traditional Christian doctrines of marriage and sexual morality. Again, this is David French talking. I don't believe in sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman. I don't agree that trans men are men or that trans women are women. And while I strive to treat every person I encounter with dignity and respect, I don't use preferred pronouns. Again, this is David French talking because their use is a form of assent to a system of belief, which I don't subscribe. But then he goes on. That makes me pretty far right. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, it's very conservative. But then he says, not when the right gets authoritarian or closes its mind and heart to the legacy of real injustice. I'm apparently the conservative movement's foremost defender of the civil liberties of drag queens. I'm constantly <laughs> decried as woke in part because I don't discard all of the relevant insights gained from critical race theory. I strongly oppose efforts to ban CRT and also because I believe in multi-generation institutional responsibility to ameliorate and in the enduring harm caused by centuries of racial oppression. Okay, I'm not going to keep going on, but the point he's making is he does not fit into our, like, well-worn categories. Uh, Politically, legally, even, uh, it sounds like, in her spirituality. And I feel like this is where so many people, at least that I'm in conversation with, mm. are sitting right now. Like, they might lean one way on one topic, but lean another way on another topic. It feels like, to me, the categories are changing. Yeah, I think that's probably true. One thing that really has stuck with me about this piece is right at the very top, where David French is quoting um, someone else. I'm not exactly, uh, I think it's the Israeli prime minister yeah. saying, everyone is stuck in this left versus right traditional dynamic, but today, all over the world, it's centrist versus extremist. Mm. And I feel like that is such a key kind of interpretive frame yeah. for this whole situation. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, how many of us really know what principles conservatives or liberals originally were founded on right and and how much they've even swapped over time or Mm -hmm. just gone so extreme on either way and um one thing i used to use as an example i don't know if you chicagoland if you remember when jewel and dominic were the two kind of (laughs) that were everywhere dominic is now long gone but yeah i used to say you know there might be five things that I love buying at Jewel, but that doesn't mean I'm never going to go and mm, get something from Dominic. Yeah. Like, sometimes I like this thing that only Dominic carries. Right. And and I think we're so pigeonholed right now. Yes. That if someone in our tribe, whether that's right or left, mm-hmm. is saying a thing, like we we have to just take it now. We right. have to like espouse it. We have to advocate for it, even if it is actually abhorrent to our actual yeah. values or even abhorrent to the the party sort of original, values or yeah, the, the, mm-hmm. the philosophical standpoint or mm-hmm. yeah so I this think- is something that brian and i get kind of get worked up about every once in a while it it does 
it does sort of feel like unless you're being ex- because extreme gets rewarded, mm-hmm. unless you're willing to be extreme with whatever it is, you're a political party, your religious affiliation, your tribe, your echo chamber, um, you d- you get missed, you don't get heard, that doesn't get rewarded. Mm-hmm. Those are the candidates mm-hmm. that are not going to like come to the f- forefront. But that may be who we actually need and want. And yes. so it is, it's frustrating when the system reward, rewards extremism or these dividing lines. But it feels like more and more, more of us are saying, but that's not actually representative of who we are as a people. We are more centrist or more willing to go, I like something over here and I like something over here. Is there like a cafeteria approach? There's yeah, not, though. There's not. And, you know, it doesn't sell ads yeah, to say, right. to have a moderate conversation about values that we all share you know what makes us tune in Mm -hmm. over and over again is to hear people say crazy things yeah that's what we love the spectacle we love the spectacle and i i feel like that love for the spectacle at some point it's caused way too much damage absolutely and at some point there we have to start saying we don't want the spectacle anymore but i don't know how that happens i just don't i don't see that happening at least in our generation maybe a new generation will will do something different here's how david french ends i think this is really interesting he says i'm a believer in certain political values because i'm a traditionally orthodox christian I want to create and sustain the kind of republic that was envisioned by George Washington at his best, a place where everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree and no one will make them afraid. Wow. All right, Catherine, I told you before we um, before we ended our last conversation that there was a question somebody asked me and I wanted to run it by you. And it's going to seem so innocuous, but I feel like you're the kind of person that's going to get where I'm going with this. All right. Okay. so here's the question. It's not a new question. You've been asked it probably before in your life. But this is it. If you could dream big, Mm. so you didn't have to worry about time, you didn't have to worry about money, no worries, what would you do? Ah. That's the question. Do you want me to answer the question? Try or to talk decide about if I do. First, answer. I've been in an existential <laughs> crisis since this person asked me this over the weekend. So let's talk about. Let's talk about your answer, and then let's break down the question. Okay. I mean, I don't love this question. Um you could dream big nothing to prove no money or time worries what would you do i mean do i still have a family because i think that maybe that's part of it do you have a family yes but like everything's fine with them just okay. assume- can i leave them for like can they, <laughs> can they like be put into like a stasis? they're on an island yeah they're on an island stasis and like they're thriving okay, yeah yeah oh, that's it's a really there's hard- a clone maybe, of you with them <laughs> maybe we should talk about the question instead of- let's talk about because, the question like, part of me thinks you know like well i'd love to go on a year-long vacation around the world mm, or yeah um but ultimately, those aren't the things that I really right, want. Right. I, I really want, you know, fulfilling career and mm-hmm. peace in my family. And right. I don't really know how having unlimited time and money Adds helps to that. me get yeah. to those dreams. So I'm curious to hear how this question landed on you. Tell me about the existential crisis. <laughs> okay. That sounds way more interesting to okay. me. Okay. <laughs> Here's my existential crisis about this question. One... I, I, I go, I've, I've had the answer to this question before and I feel like I have to rephrase it for myself, but I start to feel like, okay, if I could dream big, nothing was, nothing was a worry. What would I do? It in my head, it's like, I feel like I need to dream in a very specific way. Like this kind of question is leading me to be like, oh, I want to solve poverty oh. and therefore I'm going to start an organization. And that's good. Like people should want to do that. But then I feel a little guilty. Like, well, what if my dream is just, I want to like 
keep, you know, showing up in the studio day to day with Brian and writing books and serving the church. And like, it makes me feel like I'm not dreaming big enough. That's Mm -hmm. part of it. But then I also feel like underneath it, and this may sound really cynical and dark. So help me if it does, Catherine, but it feels like such an American question. Yeah. And then and then I feel like the flip side of it is we've got a whole bunch of people who feel like they need to like dream big and change the world and do these like massive mm. things and garner attention for it. And then for those people who one are not in a privileged position to do that, that leads to like pain. Yeah. And then it leads to a lot of what we're seeing now, which is just people sort of like building towers unto their own names and then crashing. So I don't know. Am I thinking about it too? Do I need to like let all of that go and just like have fun dreaming? Am I overthinking the question? I mean, you're asking the wrong person since I overthink. You're an overthinker also. I I wholeheartedly agree with you. I think you've pinpoint what I didn't like about it when you Mm. asked me just now. Um, it is an American assumption that the bigger dream is the better dream. Yeah. And the bigger influence is the better influence. Yeah. But when God decided to change the world, God came as a baby yeah. to a poor right. family yeah. in an oppressed nation. Yeah. And then pretty much just hung out with 12 close friends right. for his very short life. Speaking so, of total side note, I saw someone post on social media this week. Nobody ever talks about Jesus's miracle of having 12 friends yeah, in his thirties. I love that. <laughs> I know. I thought that was good. <laughs> that really good. So, yeah, I agree. I think if I was going to really sit down like in with a journal, like yeah. if my spiritual director was asking, yeah. this, I think I would want to pursue the things I'm pursuing right now, mm-hmm. but without having all those things that kind of slow me down. Like I would love to be able to finish the MDiv that I'm pursuing yeah. at a slightly quicker pace. Yeah. Or I would love for some of the career opportunities that I'm pursuing to have the doors open a little bit easier. Right. Or I right. Would love to have a family administrative assistant that would uh, fill out all the forms uh, and make sure that the family calendar was synced yes. so that all my kids got to the, a chauffeur. A chauffeur would be chauffeur fantastic. Would be great. Mm-hmm. But all of these things would just make the day to day pleasures. And responsibilities go a little bit more smoothly. Yeah. Because I do think that ultimately our fulfillment isn't in being giants of the faith or of society. Fulfillment is in being a a good family member, a good neighbor. That's what I ultimately feel like. I I almost want somebody to say, if you could dream really small, you know what I mean? Like, what would your dream be? You know? Oh, I would do this. Yeah. If you could... Mm-hmm. change or fix one small thing in your life yeah what or if you could downsize something yes what would you make small i definitely feel like i would um okay so there was this is going to sound weird but and maybe i'm idealizing covid but there was something about the closed life of covid where like kevin and i spent such an enjoyable mm-hmm. time with our family like like with mm-hmm. our kids, game mm-hmm. nights, you know, we, everyone was getting yeah. creative about like, let's have family game night or family movie night or we're do puzzles together. Mm-hmm. Or we're going to, and I wasn't traveling to speak or I didn't have big projects to, or I didn't like yeah. something about that load off and just everyone understanding we're all going to do this together. Mm-hmm. And so there was almost no FOMO either. 
Yeah. Um, that felt very enjoyable. So yeah. I do think there's just something about, and we were like checking in on our neighbors. Are you okay? Are you okay? Do you need groceries? Do you need groceries? Can we go? You and I were even like, yeah. can we go on a walk but stand oh, really far apart from each other? on the sidewalk? I do. <laughs> Six feet apart. Oh. We were like being so cautious, but wanting to be together. I feel like that. So ultimately it is like just good neighboring and a small yeah. faithful life, yes. you know? And I say That's that, it. say that a lot, the but then like the reality of it, how do you, I know. how do you get there? Okay. So now let's let ourselves dream big. Oh. Okay. Okay. I like your idea of like traveling around the world. Okay. We've talked a lot about a cruise. We have. Maybe that's our time to like dream about a big cruise. I don't, I don't think that's, I think I would dream bigger. Bigger than a cruise? Big. Yeah. Oh, European tour? No, I'm going to go real big. Okay, okay? let's hear I'm it. Go real I want to hear it. I would like to go to outer space. <laughs> Wait, you would? Oh, I'm so terrified of outer space. About <gasps> I do know this I about you. I wanted to be an astronaut. Yeah, this is why our executive producer, Keith Conrad, and you are tight, because he, he loves outer space. My original <laughs> career goal was to be an astronaut. Yes. A number of things have happened since then to sway me. <laughs> However, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I want to see the earth from the outside okay and so if time and money is no concern yes then somebody is going to create a space shuttle or yep. a rocket yep in which i don't feel uh motion sickness uh-huh. or gravity sickness or anything like that uh-huh. i'm going to take a jaunt okay it's going to be safe i don't feel like i'm putting my children yeah in all that's on the table yeah yep like. yep I'm going to see the world from the outer space. Okay. So yeah, I'm going a little bit bigger that than the cruise. That is a if big dream. Big. Yeah. yeah, we're going big. Wow, that's real big. Oh, and the Cubs could win the World Series again. That would also be good. Okay, I feel like that's I feel like that's a fantastic answer, and we will end with that. All right, well, uh, let us know, listeners, what you think about that question. If you had uh, nothing to prove, no money worries, no time worries, what would you do? Would you dream big or would you dream small? Let us know on our social media at Common Good Talk. And we are thrilled because there is something that Catherine and I are both very passionate about one that is ancient spiritual practices in the church Two that is burnout for church leaders and pastors and just practicing healthy spirituality so we have brought on aaron damiani he's a lead pastor of emmanuel anglican church in chicago he's the author of a beautiful book called earth filled with heaven finding life in liturgy sacraments and other ancient practices at the church aaron thanks so much for being here with us today Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. I want to dive in, Aaron, and just ask you from the jump. I know you didn't grow up in a historic high church, Anglican church. How did you even become interested in liturgy and sacraments? For me, it did start with that burnout season. What I what I experienced as epic Christian failure, where um, you know it started with a friend, a close friend whose father took his own life, mm-hmm. and he was a committed Christian. Oh. That just opened the floodgates for me of sort of stress and sadness, and mm-hmm. uh, really what led to some emotional burnout, which was pretty discordant with the happy, produced, upbeat worship experiences that I was that I was accustomed to at the time. I was also just really wrestling with doubts in my faith. I didn't know what I believed. As I was learning more about theology and the Mm. the Bible, I began to wrestle with what do I believe now um, for myself? And I was confused and and, and really wrestling with that. And then finally, I was in my first leadership assignment in ministry and was was struggling. I was coming to the end of my own energies Mm. and being able to make something happen for God, as it were. Yeah. And so I was at this point where... I couldn't feel my way to God anymore, mm. and I couldn't think my way to mm. God, you know, having the right thoughts about God. And then I couldn't lead and minister and serve my way to God. 
but I longed for God. Mm. And so right around that time, a friend invited me to a liturgical church where the gospel was preached, but also it was displayed in the sacraments. And I was welcomed in to just receive that. Actually, I experienced it as an easy yoke, the easy yoke of Jesus through the local church and through these historic practices, rather than works righteousness, I found that, you know, in my season of burnout, it was rest for my soul and refreshing drink of water. Mm, So beautiful. Aaron, I myself have been uh, a part of liturgical Anglican churches for most of my adult life. And I find so much healing in the way my body is invited to participate in worship Um, not just my mind or my emotions. Um, I find a lot of people are intrigued by this, while still a lot of people are kind of suspicious of the more sacramental approach. Um, What do you find in conversations with people? Yeah, I do find that involving the body in worship is one of the most controversial, but also, like you said, one of the most healing parts Mm. of ancient church worship. You know, we're really good. I think our strong suit as as evangelical Christians is engaging the heart mm. and engaging the mind. The thing about the heart and the mind is that they're both, they both find their connection point in our human bodies. And so when we can, when we, when we, you know, don't take the human body into account when we're designing our worship services or our prayer lives, what happens is that, you know, eventually our mind and our heart start to get disconnected. And that's where so many people find themselves is a yeah. head heart disconnect. Yeah. They believe something about God, but it's not quite uh, making its way into how they live. Mm. And what happens with liturgical worship is that our, our, we are invited to engage our bodies in the act of worship. We're yeah. kneeling to, to confess in some cases, if our knees are in good enough condition, mm. um, <laughs> um, we, you know, we're, we're invited to, to, you know, receive the sacrament uh, as we, as we chew and swallow and pass the peace with real handshakes and mm. all of these things. Um, what happens is that as we go through these gospel rituals, what happens is that our head and our heart have a way to to absorb the truths of the gospel in a way that goes yeah. deeper than our thoughts or our right. emotions. Yeah. So good, Aaron. Um, I, you know, I want to take it back to something you said about your own burnout, because obviously, you know, anyone who's watching pastors or reading the stats about pastors, especially post-COVID, it feels like, I mean, everyone's quitting I mean, being a little exaggerative here, but everyone's quitting. All the pastors are burnout. This is a really hard season in ministry. So for you, you know, practicing some of these sacraments and these this liturgical worship brought you back to life, it sounds like. If there's yeah. a pastor right now listening who's kind of feeling that I am so burnt out that the distance between what I'm preaching and what I feel is growing greater, you know, maybe what's a what's a word or two for them about how to get started? Well, yes. So for some pastors, I think one of the things that's actually helped me the most when you're leading services and you actually can't attend a service on a Sunday, um, that would, would feed your own soul. I mean, talking to a spiritual director is a huge step forward for me. Yeah. I actually, mm-hmm. I've been seeing a spiritual director since I started church planting and, and just receiving some empathy for some of that burnout is, is incredible. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I have one through soul shepherding, but oh, nice. the, um, the, you know, the other thing that if you are not leading services and you can attend um, a, a gospel liturgical church, 
if there's one in your area, or even even a, a morning prayer, doing morning prayer and just following yeah. fixed hour prayer mm-hmm. and can be a really wonderful way to simply receive. I mean, I think for me, being able to just receive the old prayers yeah. and not have to generate, I, sometimes burnout comes from having to generate emotional experiences mm-hmm. so on true. a regular basis. Yep. Um, and it becomes performative. It stops coming from your heart, you know, it stops, it stops coming from that well. Yeah. And so for me, the, you know, the digging deep to the, you know, the water source of these ancient prayers mm-hmm. flowing from the, from the historic church was, was a way for me to simply learn how to pray in a way that didn't depend on my leadership or depend on my own stream of consciousness ability mm. to, to pray. So great. I grew up hearing the critique of, you know, well, if you're just sort of repeating words, then it doesn't mean anything to you and you get complacent. But my personal experience has been so much that when I can't bring the emotion myself, I, I feel carried. I feel lifted up yes. by the yeah. people who are proclaiming yes. what is true and faithful. Um, I know that you talk a lot in your book about some of these frameworks and some of these practices and how the reader or even the church can begin to incorporate them. How would you be- suggest that a, a reader or a church begin if they want to dip their toes into, mm. into liturgy, into sacramental living? You know, one thing that churches can do if they want to begin is grab a copy of the Book of Common Prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the 2019 version is the one I'd recommend getting and, and flip through it and look at some of the, you know, there's a, a, a part of the, the Book of Common Prayer, which is, just has collects for the church year. And a collect is simply a, a very compact, poetic, yet theologically rich prayer yeah. for each week of the church year. And you could just take one of those and uh, a pastor or a leader could, could pray that collect, or you could invite the congregation to do that together. Another way is to simply um, celebrate communion more often, as mm-hmm. often as you can. Yeah. And um, if people have a hard time with that, you know, you can simply start slower. But also, I think people just like explanations. And so if you can, if you can um, help them see that doing communion frequently, like you, to your point, Catherine, is not a works righteousness mm-hmm. that becomes dead religion, but it becomes more like, you know, think of how if you're, if you're going on dates frequently with your spouse, it's not going to feel like you know, dead works, it's going to actually be stoking the yeah. relational connection right. and make it, make it even richer. Absolutely. It's so funny you say that, Aaron, cause we, we're a low church, church plant, but we have always practiced communion every single or the Lord's supper, whatever language you want to use every Sunday. And our people are like, can't live without it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I, yeah. you're exactly right. I don't know why there's this rhetoric out there that these things will make you dry, but instead they, it's like nourishing you mm-hmm. by faith. I think mm-hmm. it's so important. Yes. Um, Aaron, uh, okay, the name of your book again, I, I want to say it one more time so our listeners can hear, Earth Filled with Heaven, Finding Life in Liturgy, Sacraments, and Other Ancient Practices at the Church. Where can people connect with you and where can people find your book? So people can find my book anywhere books are sold. Amazon is an easy place to get it. Moodypublishers.com is an easy place to get it. Um, and you can find me on, on Twitter. Um, I'm probably more active there. Uh, you can find me on Facebook as well, but my Twitter handle is just Aaron Damiani. It's a lot of vowels, but if you, if you throw them into Google, you'll, you'll find it. I'm on Instagram and Facebook and, and so post occasionally. 
All right. Aaron Damiani is a lead pastor of Emmanuel Anglican Church in Chicago. Again, the title of his book is Earth Filled with Heaven, Finding Life in Liturgy, Sacraments, and Other Ancient Practices at the Church. Aaron, thanks so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Aubrey and Catherine. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for some good news. Okay, Catherine, uh, one thing that I like to do every once in a while is just share some good news, remind the world that it's not all dark and heavy constantly. And so one of the places Brian and I have been going is the week where they kind of aggregate good news stories from the week. And I... I'm going to share the first one. Brian and I started talking uh-huh. about this last week, and this is my favorite story of all time. I, I know what it is, and I can imagine. I, I'm going to read it to you, but then I'm going to tell you Brian's cynical take on it. Uh-oh. Okay. Uh, but here's the story from last week. You may have seen this because this went viral all over social media. A stranger and an el- elderly veteran become best friends for the day during a Disneyland trip. It was an adventure these two new friends won't forget. Isaiah Garza recently posted on his TikTok a video showing him approaching an elderly man in a park asking him if he'd like to spend the day at the happiest place on earth disneyland you'd really take me the man a hundred year old veteran responded this is great their meeting had been prearranged between garza and the man's caregiver but was a total surprise for the center okay this makes me feel better i'm interrupting the story here (laughs) because i thought this was random, and I was a little nervous about oh, yeah. this 100 year old man get going with someone. I about that too yeah. if it was random. But so, if it's set up, it's like a make a wish. This makes me feel so much better that it was yeah. prearranged between Garza and the man's caregiver. Okay. We can move on now. Okay, once they arrived at Disneyland, they went for a spin on the Mad Tea Party before writing It's a Small World and singing the song together like 50 times. It was so cute. In the TikTok video, Garza is shown dancing with a man near Sleeping Beauty Castle, giving him a pair of Mickey Mouse ears, captioning it, we became best friends for the day. This was one of the best days of my life, the man added. I feel like I might be dreaming or something. I thought my life was over. I will remember this day for a long time. Garza was homeless for several years years and he often thought about his future and doing random acts of kindness i told myself i was going to use this energy and harness it for good someday that is is amazing this is amazing okay so good here's brian's cynical take on it he i don't think this is true now that i know it was arranged with the caregiver brian thought the guy was using the 100 year old veterinarian to get in the front of the lines (laughs) that's how cynical brian promised pretty cynical yeah but i think this is a sweet story it is a sweet story could I possibly share something good that happened last week that's not in you may. this rundown? You may. Because okay. this actually reminded me of it. I was thinking about how it sounded kind of like Make-A-Wish, but for like old veterans. Yeah. Um, my daughter runs a baking business. She's yes. 11 years old, but it's a legitimate business. And last week she had two really cool opportunities. One is she got to actually make cookies for a Make-A-Wish reveal. Oh, stop it. Where a little girl, her wish was to have, she has a number of disabilities that keep her from being able to run on playgrounds and stuff. Mm. So her Make-A-Wish was to have some playgrounds built in her house and in her yard that she she can use. And somehow the person who is coordinating it reached out to my daughter to see if my daughter would donate baked goods for the reveal party. Are you serious? And she, she was like, yes, I will. Oh, that's amazing. And also we have a friend who um, is recovering from cancer. And this is actually a mutual friend. Yeah. But um, he reached out to my daughter to see if she would make a, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on air. It's not a bad word. It's just a slightly rude Imply word. Imply it, perhaps. Um, a... Go away cancer party. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so she she made a cake and wrote 
Oh, go it's, away, it's cancer. It's not a bad word. Okay, but, okay. Uh, yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's so sweet. So. Uh, Catherine's daughter made two birthday cakes for my yes. boys this year. She, yeah. she does have a legit business. Yeah. You can find out more at Facebook. This wasn't an ad for your daughter. You can go to Catherine's <laughs> Facebook and find out more. All right, those anyway, are good right, stories. Those are kind of worth oh, fitting in here, I absolutely, thought. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. It's very okay. sweet. Now very your turn. Back, okay. to, back to the original schedule. Okay, here we go. Uh, parents ask beloved NICU nurse to be their son's godmother. Oh. When Austin Evans was finally able to bring her baby Conrad home from the hospital after six months in the neonatal intensive care unit, she was thrilled. But there was one thing she was going to miss, her son's nurse, Carly Miller. Conrad was born early with a kidney blockage and difficulty breathing and was immediately whisked away to the NICU at Texas Hospital in Houston, Children's Hospital in Houston. For the first 37 days of his life, Evans and her husband, Brandon Williams, were unable to hold him. Oh, my goodness. They relied on updates from Miller, who was the only one who really knew Conrad, Evans told Today Parents. Mm. She remained his primary nurse even when he was put on a type of dialysis she was not experienced in. Oh and Conrad grew to recognize her voice, responding as soon as she entered the room. Wow. Oh it makes your heart swell, Miller said. After six months in the NICU, Conrad was released. But since her family formed such a tight bond with Miller, thinking about having to never see Carly yeah. again was heart-wrenching, Evans said. She decided to ask Miller to be Conrad's godmother, presenting her with flowers and a note. Immediately, Miller said yes and started oh to cry. It's hands down the coolest thing that I have had happen, she that told Today Parents. Amazing. I know. I love that. Because imagine taking the baby away from what it had grown had attached grown to, attached really. Also, the nurse. But to, to be a little bit Brian about this, yeah. I do hope that she's... Not often asked to be the godparent, <laughs> right? Because she, that could get over. She's the she's a godparent of yeah a ton of kids. Yeah, <laughs> that actually would be overwhelming. Okay, here's the next one. A 14 year old Eagle Scout earned all 139 merit badges. Whoa! Um, they range from movie making to golfing. His name is Ben Hayes. And he is only 14, an Eagle Scout from Whitehall, Michigan. But this summer, he reached his goal of earning all 139 merit badges, something that less than 1%, less than 1% of Scouts ever do. He has autism, and when he was being bullied in elementary school, he joined Boy Scouts to make Aww. friends and learn new skills. He excelled, obviously. Yes, clearly. And even during the early days of the pandemic, he connected with other Scouts through Zoom to earn badges. Um, his partner for the home repair merit badge lived in Japan, so because of the time difference, he was often up at 3 a.m. to get to work. His mom said that um, he was once nervous about talking to other people, but his achievement here and his public speaking merit badge has made him so much more self-assured. Wow. Can you believe that? No, that is so, that's so incredible. Unbelievable. I love that story. Okay, here's another one. Uh, California teen uses new crochet skills uh-huh. to create a very special dress. All right. I'm already impressed that a California teen has crochet skills. It's been two years since Naomi Mendez taught herself how to crochet, and the 15-year-old put her skills to test when she decided to make her own quinceanera uh-huh. dress. A quinceanera is a Hispanic rite of passage celebrated on a girl's 15th birthday. Mendez's mother, Daisy Hernandez, told ABC7 Los Angeles that it's a beautiful tradition in our culture. 
So I was really excited when she decided she wanted to have a quinceanera. Mendez, a resident of Cherry Valley, California, was worried that her vision for the dress might not come true. But Hernandez said she shared some supportive words, telling her daughter, if you think you can, I believe you can. And if for some reason it doesn't work out, we'll just buy one. I'm very proud of her for accomplishing it. It took about four months to finish crocheting the dress, which is blue with magenta piping and butterflies and flowers on the skirt. On Instagram, Mendez posted updates on how the dress was going. And when she finally got to wear it on Saturday, everyone oohed and awed. It's special to me, she said, adding she hopes the dress will be passed down one day in her family. That's cool. I'm going to have to look up a picture of it. Yeah, definitely. That's That's so cool. Well, Aubrey, I have one more Let's amazing story. <gasps> this and one's this right up one, your alley. Yeah, this is up my alley. And uh, I actually knew about this before I read this article. But NASA's Webb Telescope captures the clearest image of Neptune's rings in 30 years. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the pictures. Um, it the, This new James Webb Telescope has detailed the planet and its 14 known Amazing. Moon. I have seen the pictures. They're incredible. Uh-huh. Um, Neptune typically appears blue in images taken by, for example, the Hubble Space Telescope because of the methane in the atmosphere. I'm saying all this off the top of my head, obviously. I'm not reading from this article. Yeah. I just know all this. Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> you just I'm know this stuff about. Uh-huh. Right. Um, but this new photo captured by Webb's near-infrared camera, which images objects in the near-infrared range from 0.6 to 5 microns... <laughs> Um, depicts the planet as whiter in color. Interesting. Yeah, and we're seeing births of stars, never be, never before seen compact so galaxies. Cool. And earlier this month, a comic tarantula showing thousands of young stars that had yet to be Is seen. Is that not tarantula? Tarantula? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, cool stuff in space, basically, is what we're saying. (laughs) (laughs) Things we don't actually understand. Yes. We are seeing them. So, so actually, it is really cool to look up those pictures online. So, you can do that if you want to. I was really trying not to say tarantula because that sounded like it was going to be wrong. Yeah. It doesn't seem like a cosmic tarantula. Yeah. Yeah. But I like what I said better. Yeah. I don't, that's what it is now. I don't want to see a cosmic tarantula. So, I like yours better as well. We are so glad that you're with us today hopefully you're driving home to a delicious dinner do you know what dinner is tonight at your house Catherine? i do actually <gasps> tell me yeah we're gonna have butternut squash soup oh, i love butternut squash soup yes. that sounds so delicious the other night um my husband was making butternut risotto yum and we set aside some butternut puree yum for um yeah, making a soup. Does tonight. he put like the really good like like cream in it and stuff too? Uh, we don't have cream, and uh, this might not be suitable for the air. But he chopped off part of his finger while he was making <gasps> soto. What? So we sort of just uh, we just went with what we had. Well, actually, my daughter, my eleven year old daughter with the baking business, finished it while my husband gave her instructions on the phone as I ran him to urgent care. I did not know this happened in your life over the weekend, Catherine. This feels like not a side note, but a main story. Yeah. Is he okay? He is okay. There's a part of him that he'll never get back. And uh, we literally got, and figuratively, yep, yep, uh-huh. we got back from urgent care, and my darling children said, Mom and Dad, we're so glad to see Dad is okay. We did the dishes, but we left the knife that still has part of Dad's finger on it ah! for you. Was this significant? Like, did he have to get stitches? No, because it's just gone. 
Yeah, it's just not. Is it there notably anymore. gone? Like, if I looked at your husband's hand, would I be like, he's no, missing a finger? If you, if you, lo- no. If okay. you looked at his. Do we want to talk about this? Yes. I mean, we're in oh. it, Catherine. <laughs> you, we can't go back now. There's no turning back. Um, the person at Urgent Care was saying, you know, if you, if you normally, if you cut yourself, you can sew the two sides together. Mm-hmm. And normally, if you cut your finger off, you can sew the finger back, back on. on. Yes. But this was. A small chunk okay. of his, the tip of his finger. A chunk. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's too small to sew on, oh. but it's not a cut. You can sew closed. So. Wow. R.I.P. to that little part of his yeah. finger. And, so and sorry to, about that. To be honest, this is the second time he's done it to the same finger. So oh. you know, at least he's consistent. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Yeah. He's really into his cooking. Yeah. Now I'm just like, okay, I'll clean up the blood. You get in the car. <laughs> This is just a regular we week at the McMill. Yeah. We have our roles. We know what to do. <laughs> wow. Okay. Wow. We went from what's for dinner tonight yep. to that. I love that. Yeah. Actually, let's talk about your husband because the topic we're going to talk about connects to some of your husband's work oh. because your husband works with immigrants. Aubrey, that's good. Thank You're you. You're good. Thank yes. You. That is the part of his life he would never cut out. Wow. Solid transition right there. No, really. One thing that we do want to talk about seriously there's some research that's come out saying that evangelicals have changed their views on immigration reform we're going to talk about that research in just a minute but Catherine, uh just hearing that statement i know you actually already read some of this research did that surprise you did it not surprise you what was kind of your first reaction to that evangelicals are changing their views on immigration reform well i was intrigued because you know which direction is it changing in Mm. Um, my husband does work very closely Um, he's a social worker he's the head of a particular social services organization i also do a lot of research uh, writing and speaking about immigration because of the topics of the books that i've written and some articles Um, So what I was thrilled to see is that evangelicals are gaining more of their perspective um, on immigration from the Bible and the local church. Um, In this very, very recent study, I believe it just came out last week. Last week. week. Mm -hmm. Um, It's between Lifeway and uh, the Evangelical Immigration Table and World Relief. So basically the three experts on surveys and this topic um, in the evangelical world, um, it said that 36% of U.S. evangelicals say that the Bible is one of the factors that is basing their opinion on immigration, and the local church is 19%. So those are actually really small numbers. Yeah. Uh, that's a bummer. You know, you would think that a U.S. evangelical would be getting a lot more from, the Bible, their from the Bible or their local church. Mm-hmm. But I am very familiar with the last time the survey was done and the numbers were much lower. And and uh, is it fair to say that the other percentages are from political pundits, news? The number one influence uh, is friends and family. Mm. And then the next one, very high, 46% are saying that they get their information from the media. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, you know, people are making claims and I think this shows it that the media is discipling the church rather than the other way yes, around. Yes, unfortunately. And not that the church needs to be about discipling the media, but the church does need to be about discipling the people. And uh, apparently we've got a discipleship crisis on our on our hands when the media has that high of percentage of influence Absolutely. in yes. Christian's life. I'm not saying, I mean, I'm for media. Like, I think we should be paying attention to the media, but not to the point where it's informing 
more than the local churches or Absolutely. more than the Bible is. Like but unfortunately, it, it is profoundly yeah. so. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's pretty profound. I am pleased to see at least that there's growth. Yes. Like you said that earlier, the statistics were uh, uh, not as large as they are now, even uh-huh. though 36% and 19%, 36% from the Bible, 19% from the local church is not as high as we want to see, but that's growth. Yes, it is. So we can celebrate that progress. Here's some of the questions that Lifeway asked a group of evangelicals. Um, the number, of, here's the saying, the number of recent immigrants to the United States are, and then there are categories, 46% said an opportunity to show them love. I thought that was pretty good. Almost half. Okay. Yes. 41% an opportunity to introduce them to Jesus Christ. It's another good percentage. 33% said an improvement to America's cultural diversity. 33% said a threat to the safety of citizens. 32% said a drain on economic resources. 31% said a threat to law and order. 26% said a threat to traditional American customs and culture. 19% said a boost to entrepreneurial activity. Mm. So we do see at least a greater percentage and an opportunity to show them love and opportunity to introduce them to Jesus Christ. It would have been nice to see on here some category and opportunity to learn from another culture. Like there's still some mutuality, I think Mm -hmm. missing here. This is all about what we can do for them or what they're taking from us. There's not a, like we can learn Mm -hmm. together and grow together. So I hope that shows up in future. I hope so too. That, you know, as more and more immigrants come to the country and we build relationships, hopefully that will that mutuality will change a little yes. bit. But what do you think, Catherine, just by me reading you those numbers? Hmm. I, well, I'm really profoundly in agreement with what your final statement was right there. Yeah. That, um, we need to stop seeing ourselves as so central that we don't need anything. Um, yeah. That's something that I've really come to understand in my own community mm-hmm. is that so much of the conversation with evangelicals is how much should I give? Maybe even how much can I give? Yeah. But there's so little sense that we, when we enter into a relationship, like I'm not saying to myself, what can I give to Aubrey? I mean, I, I do think that, yeah. but I realize that I'm supporting you and you're supporting me and right. we're both benefiting. Yes. And the fact that we struggle to see a mutual beneficial mm-hmm. relationship with um, immigrants or refugees, it it puts us in such a paternalistic yeah. Position yeah. That, we, that we struggled to be a good friend. You know, you can't really be close to someone that just cannot see you as providing anything. It's true. You you yeah. really can't. That's not that's not equal footing. That's not uh, like you, I mean, I, I that's such a great example mm-hmm. of you and I or like think yeah. listeners like think about your best friend. Like you're not having to think intentionally. What can I give to them? Yeah. What can't I like? You just have a friendship that works both ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I feel like that's the attitude that needs to change. And it's going to mean decentralizing our own selves and our own perspectives. And that's real hard. Yep. Like, yep. Let, you know, it, that's that's harder said than done. But I am glad to see there's movement. And as this research continues to come out in the years to come, hopefully we'll see more progress um, as far as our attitudes looking a little more like Jesus yes. when it comes to the immigrants in our communities. All right. Catherine, is it fair for me to admit to the world that you and I are both officially midlifers now? Oh, yeah. It's, I just had a birthday. You just had a, I uh, you just had a birthday. I am yeah. now officially closer to one number than I am another number. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. 
that answer. I like that answer a lot. Yeah, yeah. I'm that's, almost I'm almost 25. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's that's good. That's the number. That's good. So you and I are in midlife, and we both have teenagers. In fact, I had a uh, major event happen over the weekend too that I can't believe we even oh. talked about. My teenager got his driver's oh license. Oh my goodness! And got in a car and drove away from our house. No, that did not happen. That happened, and I. I was way more anxious than I expected to be. I, oh. You know me. I'm not a very anxious person. I, I worry about some things, but I don't like live with a level of anxiety. Yeah. I, oh man, even talking about it now, I can sense my shoulders tensing up. Like I was so nervous for him to get in the car and drive mm-hmm. away. I mean, I've been in the car with my teenager yeah. and he does not have his license yet. And yeah. I assure you, I will be, <laughs> in fact, he's been 16 for several months now. Yeah. And we're, we're just taking our time. Yeah, no, it's a good idea. So yeah. thankfully, he drove my husband's car. <laughs> he didn't drive mine. Where did he go? Oh, I mean, this is what's so funny. Like, I don't know if you remember getting your license, but the first day yeah. I got my license, I wanted to go to the mall. I oh. went to the mall. That was like, I am going to the mall. Yeah. And uh, back when he, there were malls. Back when there were malls. He drove to the dollar store to buy some candy. <laughs> oh. You know, our, our teenagers actually love to bike to the dollar store they together. Do. So he can come and pick up my teenager yeah. in the car. Will you let him? Will you let your teenager go in the I, car with my teenager? Yeah. Well, actually, I don't know that the state of Illinois will let him. I think uh, they can have one friend for a oh, year. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So he, you know, he could. I'm so glad that we're co-hosting today so we can catch up on our <laughs> lives. lives. Like, my husband chopped off his finger. My son, got son a has a driver's license. license. Like, I don't know when we would have gotten a chance to That's talk true. about this. This worked out. Thank you, Brian, for leaving. Yeah. Okay, so speaking of parenting teenagers, okay. uh, Trillia Newbell, who is a mutual friend of ours through writing, yes. she posted something on Twitter that you and I both responded to, and so I thought, oh, we got to talk about this on the air. She said this, something happens in middle age with teens. My capacity to engage in things outside my immediate life and work has greatly diminished. It's not that I no longer care. Rather, I feel my limitations. She's talking about applying First Thessalonians 4.11. She says, it's much more natural. We can't do anything else. Am I alone here? She got uh, lots of likes yeah, and responses. She's not alone. She is not alone. Tell me your thoughts on this. Man, I, I don't have an ex- explanation, but I think being midlife mm-hmm. is a bit exhausting mm-hmm. on its own. And having teenagers is exhausting. Mm-hmm. And we knew it was going to be. Yep. I think you know I hated... When I had babies and toddlers, all the random people who would walk up to me in the grocery store and say, oh, this is the easy part. Just wait till you have teenagers. So I wholeheartedly reject that. Yes. But I I will say this is also an exhausting season. (laughs) This is also exhausting. I don't think I don't think there has been a time since I had preschoolers, toddlers, infants that I have felt that so much of myself was required yeah. in parenting. Yeah. Um, and my teenagers aren't even in crisis. They're just teenagers. Right. So I think part of it is that um, they don't nap or sleep. <laughs> and I, I was just yes. saying this to somebody over the weekend <laughs> that I used to have to, you know, my work schedule, my weekend schedule had to involve a pretty early evening uh-huh. when we were going to be at home yep. and they were going to be asleep and I was still not going to be. So yes. I could get some work done. I yes. could do the dishes or I could do yes. some laundry or I could make a meal plan or something. And now I'm out dropping them off or picking them up somewhere at right. 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Right. And by the time I get home and my parenting is done, I, I need to be asleep. You're done. You're and also done. I still have no I- groceries in the house. Right. 
So it is true. I mean, I and, and this is something I've actually talked to talked to Brian about too. Is I I feel like something that's happening in my personal life related to this is I'm I'm having to say no mm. to a lot of like pe- like people who uh, friends of mine, people that I love who who are in a different season yeah. of life have a little have a different schedule because of it and so they want to hang out but they can only hang out in certain windows and those windows are now opposite windows for me right and i can no longer like you want to go to dinner at 7 30 no i gotta pick up my kid from this one thing and then i'm tired and so so all that to say i'm feeling this pinch of middle age having teenagers and it's not even so much that they're busy it although that's certainly part of it it's just that like i do feel my own limitations yeah. in, in what you're saying because there isn't that time now that's quiet in the evening and right it, uh they're just always around yes they are always around. <laughs> you know and they need something and they're constantly in the room and they're and I love this season in a lot of ways. I actually love it a lot more than the early baby uh-huh. season. I enjoy this so much more, but I, I feel that. And I, I think I also, especially with our oldest being sophomores, I feel that time is limited mm-hmm. and this may or may not be a right point of view, but thinking, okay, they're going to like leave the nest pretty soon part of me also wants to keep this time precious and yeah. like i want oh, yeah. to like have as much time with them as i can and be pour- pouring into them over the next few years well and i think that's something that's really hard about parenting is it is sort of feast or famine or you know when it rains it floods yeah. kind of a thing yeah. where it's like on almost any given moment what's going through my head is I need a minute. Like, please get away. Like, <laughs> right. Please, Seriously. please let me be yes. in a different room. Yes. But what the big picture that I'm aware of is in two years, you're not going to live here. Anymore, yeah, totally. You know? And totally. I wish that there was somehow an easier, happy medium where um, we could have like really great quality time together mm. and then have a minute. Yeah. And then have a minute. I do remember when my kids were little, like locking myself in the bathroom for that minute. And it almost feels the same. Like, I'm going to yep. go to the bathroom. Nobody come in here. That's this right. is mama's time. No, you don't need Netflix. Why, right. why do you ask? <laughs> I'm not in here you reading a chocolate? magazine. Or right. chocolate. <laughs> One of the things that I think is interesting that Trillia Newbell also points out is her capacity to engage in things outside of her immediate life yeah. and work it has diminished. Yeah. And so I, I think that's interesting is that I, the immediate life and work, the immediate life does feel like family. The work is like the work, you know, your job or your, I think she's a writer and a speaker, I think. And so, but it's the extra things outside uh-huh. of that. And so as a result, it is hard, I think, to develop. I mean, you and I are really close friends and we're like, when can we oh, get yeah. together on the calendar? Which is why we're catching up here on the radio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I feel like that, that's kind of a new feels like a new season just yeah. to kind of sit with and wrestle with and learn. Right. And I feel like if I was listening to two other people say these things, I would be like, well, I think you're overscheduled or overcommitted. Yeah. But I've always been very militant about margin mm. and I don't overschedule my kids. I don't overschedule our family. Mm-mm. It really is, I think, something about our culture and, and the season of life yeah. where um, getting your basic needs met is going to take 
all the time, all yeah. the hours that they're yeah. on the day. And sort of all the energy that you're able to yep. give. And yep. so there's just not much at the end of the day to offer to yep. an extra thing, whatever yes. that might be. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Well, welcome to midlife. <laughs> Catherine and Aubrey. <laughs> Catherine and I will actually be back again tomorrow. She's joining me one more day. I can't wait. From 4 to 6 p.m. For Catherine McNeil, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.